I would never have thought that Will Smith was going to contribute to my sermon this week. <laughs> Who would have thought? Now, unless you've been living in a cave and you, you've, you've had a fast from, from media, you probably know what Will Smith has been up to this week. To save you the embarrassment, not that it's embarrassing, it's actually something to be proud of, I think, if you don't know, but to save anyone the awkwardness of that, very briefly, the Oscars happened earlier in the week. A guy called Chris Rock made a joke about Will's wife, about her hair. She has a shaved head. There's a medical reason why she has a shaved head. Will Smith wasn't too impressed with that, so he walked up on stage and slapped the guy and then had a few choice words to share with him as well. Later, awkwardly, he received the, the award for best actor. Thank you, those that know but more than me. And with tears in his eyes, he apologised for the thing that he did. The message today, and this wasn't because of Will Smith, this was already planned, is about self-control. Message is about self-control. And when you look at what Will Smith did, society has very clearly, and you know, we, we all pick sides, has said Will Smith was out of control. Will Smith was out of control. Because society says that self-control is about managing yourself. Self-control is about keeping your behaviour within tolerable levels. And he went above the tolerable level. And so we say he was out of control. Society says we should watch what we say, watch how we behave, just keep it under a level that's acceptable. So you're allowed to be angry, but you're not allowed to hit someone. That's out of control. That's above the level. You're allowed to be hateful, but it's not okay to damage property. That's, that's too far. You can be selfish, but you can't make it obvious if there's others that suffer because of that. You're allowed to be proud... But don't get cocky about it. That's going too far. And you're even allowed to have impure thoughts if you just keep it in your private life. Society says self-control is about managing things so you look okay. We've even got a phrase and I've heard a number of our young adults use it, so I'm sorry if, if you like this phrase. It's a fad word that we said, we, we, we call being triggered. Being triggered means I went a little bit out of control, but it wasn't my fault. Something outside of me made me do it. It's, it's a way of justifying why things got a bit out of control. We say we got triggered. But unless Will Smith was either sleepwalking or somebody spiked his drink, he was not out of control. He actually made some conscious choices. He chose what he did. He chose to stand up. He chose to walk across the room. He chose to slap somebody. He wasn't out of control. He was absolutely in control. 
And this messes with us because he can't blame Chris Rock for triggering him. Sure, Chris Rock provoked him, but he was 100% in control of every step he took, the movement of his hands, and also his regret later. All of those, he wasn't out of control. And this is where we come to God's idea of self-control, because it's very different to the way the world sees self-control. And we're given a clue of the way God sees self-control, his idea of self-control, when Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and sound mind, self-control. Galatians 5.22-23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Hang on a minute. So self-control is not me managing myself. Is this implying that self-control is a gift of the Spirit? Something is different here. If self-control is a gift of the Spirit, we must be talking about something different than what Will Smith experienced. And to understand self-control, I want to look at how Paul unpacks this. Now, we've, we've got to be a little bit careful, not because of what Paul says, but because this is one of the passages where it gets a little bit confusing. Paul is very keen to make a point, but the words can sometimes get jumbled up. So I'm using the New Living Translation for this just so that it's a bit easier to understand. If you've got Romans 7, a Bible, and you want to look up Romans 7, we're going to start at verse 14. It's a fairly long passage, but it paints a fantastic picture about self-control. And when we say self-control is a gift from God, there's alarm bells that goes off. There's things that aren't solved in saying that. So I really want to unpack what Paul says here. So starting at verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law... For it is spiritual and good. Now, when Paul's talking about law, when he uses the word law, we've got to understand that he's talking about the the law that was given to the Israelites, which we can understand as being God's good and right way of living. They understood the law as the model for humanity, for the Israelites, on how to live. So when he refers to the law, you can just think about God's good and right way of living. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law, that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. You understand why I said it's a little bit of a messes with your head a little bit. But if I do what I don't want to do, 
I am not really the one doing wrong. It is a scene living with me in me. Now he summarizes a little bit here. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So I just want to pause there. Do you get the picture that Paul's painting? He's painting a picture of a tension between what he wants to do, following God's good and right way, and what he actually ends up doing. As much as he desires to follow God, he sees himself as a miserable, wretched person because he doesn't even do what he wants to do. And he finishes that little passage by saying, what hope is there for me? Because I'm a contradiction. I'm a hypocrite. I don't do what I want to do. But he doesn't stop there. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now, this is in light of Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that pleases the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. This is a very, very different picture about self-control than what the world says. There is a wrestle going on. There is a tension in each of us, between your old selfish nature and your new spirit creation, your, your new creation in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, we read the word I in all of these passages, but there's a different word for I when he says, it's no longer I who live. The word I is an emphasized I in, in Greek. 
We use the word ego. It's a, it's a significant word that's, it's still I, but it's a, a very emphasized version of the word I. It's no longer ego that lives, but Christ that lives in me. So it's not that I no longer exist, but it's no longer ego that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Self-control is about ego control. Self-control is about selfish control. It's a different type of control than what the world sees. I want you just to listen to a very familiar verse from 1 Corinthians 13. It describes love. And we all say, yeah, 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 love. I like love. I'm all for love. I want to champion love. But in light of the fact that there's a wrestle going on between my ego and the spirit, between my selfishness and the spirit, have a listen to how love is described. Think of it through that lens. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, but it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Can you hear the wrestle in that? Can you hear the wrestle between ego and the spirit? Love is patient and kind. Gifts of the spirit. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude and it doesn't demand its own way. That's completely ego. That's me. That's my selfishness. It's not irritable. (laughs) Sorry, Daniel and Catherine. (laughs) There's days where my selfishness makes me irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. Whoa. That's, that's 100% me. I know who's in control when I keep in records of wrongs. That's me. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. It never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. When you look at that through the, the lens of self-control, through the lens of the battle between self-ego and the spirit, we see so clearly the wrestle that goes on here. So what can we do? How can we be people that are self-controlled? The first thing is, you have to notice the wrestle. You have to see that there is a tension going on. Paul wants to very clearly and painstakingly, and sometimes his words are a bit confusing, but there is no confusion that he's pointing out the wrestle. I love God's law, but I don't do it. I feel like an idiot. I feel like a miserable wretch. I am hopeless in this battle on my own. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think on on the whole you're an okay person? I'm I'm on the whole a good person. 
Can I tell you, if your answer to that is yes, that's your ego lying to you. (laughs) I'm not here to offend you. I'm not saying that to offend you. But I'm here to tell you the truth. And that is, if you think on the whole you're a good person, you're either deceived or it's not actually you, it's the Holy Spirit. Because they're the only two options. If you think you're a good person, your ego's trying to butter you up and tell you you're doing okay, or it's not you, it's Christ that lives within you. So either way, you can't claim being a good person. So you've got to see the battle, because if you don't see the battle, then the rest is pointless. If you don't understand that that your, even your sense of your own goodness is warped and distorted by your ego. We often look at others and go, gee, I'm glad I don't do things like that person. Gee, I wouldn't do that my way. Those Israelites, they were so stupid. They always just betrayed God and he did so much for them. That's your ego trying to convince you that you're okay. But you're not. There's a wrestle, there's a battle. We're wretched in our own egos. Don't kid yourself. The second thing, once you recognize the battle, is you've got to decide who you want to win. This is not as simple as it looks because... Everyone knows what the right answer is. Everyone knows, yeah, yeah, sure, God's good way. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we want to go for. But when it comes to the crunch, when you're sitting there and someone abuses your wife on a worldwide stage, you've got to decide whether you want the spirit to win or your ego to win. Because when it comes to the crunch, that's the hard space. That's when you're under the pump. That's when the the tension and the wrestle is, is heightened. So decide today when you're not in that place, when the when the battle's not as heightened, who do you want to win? Do you want your ego or do you want the spirit to win? Make that choice. When you're not under the pump. Do you know what triggers you? It's not Chris Rock. It's not Matt saying you're not a good person. What triggers you is your ego. That's, that's your one trigger. That's the one... Because when, when I say... Sam, that shirt looks horrible on you, right? Now, I know Sam well, and I know he won't be offended by that. But when I say that, it's his ego that comes up and says, what right do you have to say that, Matt? Your shirt's not particularly special either. I actually think this is a good shirt. And you don't know the history of this shirt and how it was given to me as a birthday present, and it has emotional sentiment, and it doesn't matter whether it's not the newest shirt. I can't afford to buy a new shirt. How on earth? 
that's your ego. That's not me. Sure, I, I said something stupid, and I got my own work to do, because <laughs> that was my ego saying that. But it's Sam's ego that's the trigger. Who do you want to win? Who do you want to win? Do you want the spirit to win or do you want your ego to win? You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And if you don't make a choice, then I can tell you who's going to win. Every time. If you do not say, I, I make a conscious decision and even verbalize it. Wake up in the morning and say, God, I want your spirit to trump my ego. Make a choice. Make a stand. Because it's not easy. There is a wrestle going on. Paul outlines how, how intense this wrestle is. We're talking about a guy who's had amazing spiritual experiences, who goes around preaching the gospel, planting churches, going, this wrestle is real. Don't pretend it's not real and choose who you want to win. The third thing is, stop feeding the sin. If you want to have self-control and if you want the spirit to win over your ego, stop feeding your ego. Stop filling your head with rubbish. Get a good night's sleep. That's, that's one of my big things. But if I have late nights sequentially in a row, my ego gets loosed. My ego has too much freedom and it runs over me because I'm not thinking straight. Maybe it's the conversations you're having with people. I, I was talking to someone the other week and, and we were trading notes on workplaces. A lot of workplaces, it's fashionable to be negative. It's, it's culturally normal to bag everything. Don't do it. Change the topic. Walk away from the conversation if there's a group of people that are just negative. Don't feed your ego. Don't feed the sin. Don't feed the thing that you don't want to win. And the last thing, and this is the most important, everything up till now has just been setting everything up. We haven't actually achieved anything yet. We're just preparing. We're preparing our hearts and our minds. But the last thing is by far the most important thing. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Self-control is a gift. Self-control is not something that you are working and laboring and if you put enough effort in, you'll get there. You won't. Paul points this out so clearly. I'm going to go back and read it because it's, it's really, really cool. He talks about the wrestle. He talks about the wrestle and ends up in that space of being a wretched person. He then moves on to say, hang on, but there is no condemnation. I don't have to carry that wretched heart that I thought I did because of what Jesus did on the cross. He has paid the price for my sin. He's paid the price for my, my ego going rampant. 
and me being selfish, that's covered. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, he did this, being Jesus, so that the just requirements for the law would be fully satisfied for us. So he's, he's paid the price for our stupidity, for our mistakes, for our, our, our sinful nature. Satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are controlled by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. We have been given a gift by God. He isn't judging us for our stupidity. He isn't judging us for the fact that we aren't good people. Jesus has paid the price for that. But he is handing us a gift. His spirit hands you a gift called self-control. If someone buys me a tennis racket and I say, wow, that's a fantastic tennis racket, but I never go and play tennis, it's kind of a useless gift. And so when it comes to self-control, it's not our labor, it's not our effort. We, we, we all end up like Will Smith when we try to do it in our own strength. It's a gift from God. Self-control is a gift, but it requires us to listen and obey. We don't have to solve it all. We don't have to conjure up the, the labor of self-control, but we do have to listen and obey. And when we receive that gift, we have a beautiful opportunity to say, like Paul said, it's no longer ego that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Because it's Christ that is alive. It's Christ that motivates me. It's Christ that speaks into my circumstances. And the fruit of the Spirit flows out of that. Know that there's a battle going on. Decide who you want to win. Before you get yourself into a pickle. Decide who you want to win. Don't feed the sin. And listen and obey to the Spirit. That is the beauty of self-control. It's not something we have to berate ourselves about. There is no condemnation. But it is something and a space where we are invited to participate in the beautiful life that God has given us. Jesus called it the fullness of life when we hear and obey what the Spirit is saying. I'm just going to pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have given us the gift of self-control. Lord, we confess there's so many times that we take things into our own hands that we decide that we know better, that we do things our own way. And Lord, we're sorry for that. 
Lord, we receive your, your mercy, your grace. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that doesn't condemn us, but restores us. But Lord, today we want to make a choice. Lord, today we want to acknowledge to you, not just that everybody else thinks that your ways are right, but Lord, we want to say in our hearts that you are good, that you are right, that only in you is the fullness of life. Lord, we want to receive the gift that you've given us today, Lord. We want to unwrap it and we want to use it as you intended it to be. Lord, we are not good people outside of you. We desperately need you. We cannot do life without you. We invite you to come and radiate your goodness in our lives and through our lives to others. Lord, we pray that the self-control gift you've given us would be such a testimony to those around us. Lord, we pray that those that we meet, that those that we see, our family, our workmates, would just see you in us would see your spirit alive and active in us. And they would come to know your goodness, your mercy and grace, and the gifts that you give them to offer them. Lord, have your way in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.